0: is a bloody disgusting podcast network in space No one can hear you scream Boils and ghouls, lock your doors and strap yourselves in From Los Angeles, California Bloody Disgusting presents The Boo Crew Podcast Horror news, commentary, reviews, interviews, and more With your hosts, Lauren and Trevor Shand And Leone D'Antonio I'm
1: Leo I'm Lauren
0: I'm
2: Trevor And we are the Boo Crew Welcome to episode 143
1: Here's a Boo Crew Fright Fact In 1982 Jaws 3D. The shark was 35 feet long, 10 feet longer than previous films, and this was the only Jaws movie which does not feature any scenes set on Amne Island. Who was
2: watching that the other day? Were you guys watching that on TV? Yeah, we were. W- was it on Netflix? What is it on?
1: I think it's on Amazon Prime because our 8-year-old was dead set on watching 47 Meters Down and... The Meg And we said no
2: <laughs> Settled on Jaws 3D
1: Because he's already well, seen Jaws And he has very little patience It's so long before they get to the shark So he gets really frustrated So I'm like hey Maybe Jaws 3D Like I've seen it so long ago And it it is nothing compared to the original And uh, But
2: there's Dennis Quaid
1: That's right There is Dennis Quaid and there are people on water skis doing like acrobats. I don't know. They were very impressed. And I think it has to do with SeaWorld. I was like not really paying attention. I probably should have been. Who knows what the hell happened in that movie or what our kids witnessed. But they're all for it.
2: That's good parenting on our part. That's That's funny. (laughs) If you enjoy the show, please rate and write a review on Apple Podcasts, and we will read your review at the top of the show. Woo! It's been such a treat to get these reviews. Thank you so much for taking the time to write them.
1: It's been a shitty week for me. Let me tell you, these reviews are cheering me up, and we learn a lot about you and what you like about our show, and what you find interesting so thank you so much for spending the time with us and saying really nice things about us
2: we're gonna get a smile on all of our faces when leo reads this review by possibly one of the most creative named reviewers that we've had
3: (laughs) well let me tell you bubblegum bitch (laughs) writes (laughs) <laughs> right, <writes, laughs> best horror podcast. I've been meaning to write a review for some time now. Each host brings their own flow and take to each topic they discuss. Trevor's introduction of each guest is poetry. Wow, he, his his use of the English language is beautiful. As a longtime horror fan, this is the podcast I've always wanted and never knew I needed. I found some of my favorite TV shows, movies and even artists from this podcast. It is easy to tell the true horror passion that comes from Lauren, Trevor, and Leo. If you love anything horror related, this podcast is for you hosts. If you read this during the show, can you please post pictures of the Boo Crew Studio? I, and I'm sure so many others, would love to see your collection of horror memorabilia. Thanks for doing what you do, and they rate us five stars.
2: Wow!
1: that's so nice!
2: That one pulled on all the heartstrings, I must say. Yes. Yeah, right?
1: Yeah, Trevor is really good at his introduction. I don't know
2: about that, but thank you so much for saying that, and for putting up with my long winded it's true
1: (laughs) but you're good you're good with good stuff (laughs) words like yes let me tell you i get so excited for like my birthday or Mother's Day, or Valentine's Day, because I know that Trevor's going to sit and think about something really sweet. Like, I get my own intro (laughs)
0: each
1: three times a year,
2: and it's
1: always different, and like that is the best part, is that I get to hear what he thinks about me.
2: Well, I don't find myself very eloquent, but I appreciate the sentiment.
1: <laughs> <laughs> thank true, you. No, thank true. you. And Bubblegum, bitch, you are awesome. That's really cool that you found some cool TV shows and movies and artists from our podcast. Like, I think that's so fun that we're able to introduce you to new things.
2: And if you want to see photos of the Boo Crew Studio, we have done. Quick little tours from time to time over on our Instagram. And there's also a Patreon that we've been trying to make a focused effort. Yes. To be able to provide a behind the curtains view of what goes on in here. And we will be doing some more intense and in-depth tours of the studio on that soon. Yes. But we will also be sharing some looks at the studio on our regular Instagram page as well, which is Instagram.com. Was an Instagram how, how do you, Leo how do you shout out an Instagram URL oh
1: God. at too late to, for at Tales yeah. from the
2: Boo Crew that's it yeah
1: I love that you're making it way more difficult than that actually <laughs> right so. <here>. Instagram.com <laughs> HTTP dot right. colon slash WWW
2: you go on a All
1: computer right. and this little thing called the internet you turn it on
3: connected to 56k <laughs> yeah, That's right. Okay, um. right.
1: Well,
2: I'll take it from here with our next review from Jersey Jabber who says best horror podcast in all the land. Woo! Nice. <laughs> Sounds nice. like Lord of the Rings. I searched for a long time to find a podcast that would host writers, directors, and give me tips on horror films I may have missed. It's like the Boo Crew read my mind and made this show for me, especially when i've had a rough day i put on the boo crew and it makes the stresses go away and my imagination run keep rocking thanks rating five stars thank Woo! you Jersey
1: oh i like that one awesome. and like- you know what we yeah.
2: did we did make this show just for you.
1: And I'm so glad that we're able to distract you and if you have a rough day you can turn to us and we can support you.
2: On this episode we are joined by one half of the award winning platinum selling band The Naked and Famous, Tom Powers. Tom is a massive fan of horror and sci-fi and we really get into that with him. Discuss those influences on the band's music, we talk about his aspirations of composing for genre films and so much more, including the brand new Album from the Naked and Famous called Recover, out this Friday, July 24th, at time of release. Episode
3: 143 is a go for launch.
4: Hey, this is Tom from the Naked and Famous, and you're listening to another horrifying episode with the Goo Goo.
0: Go ahead, Scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the girdle. Crew Autopsy.
2: Joining the Boo Crew via the Speakeasy Studios, a singer, songwriter, and musician was one half of a highly acclaimed cinematic pop band. They formed in 2008 and released two EPs, This Machine and No Light. Their debut full length is 2010's incredibly successful Passive Me, Aggressive You, which garnered the smash hit. Young Blood. The work on that album won them seven New Zealand Music Awards, an NME Award, and shot them to the Billboard charts. They followed that up with In Rolling Waves in 2013, which cracked the top 50, Simple Forms in 2016, that made the top 10 U.S. Indie and Alternative Album chart, and 2018, Stunning A Still Heart. Their latest adventure, Recover, is out July 24th from the Naked and Famous. We welcome Tom Powers.
0: Woo!
4: Hello. Yeah. Wow. That was an amazing introduction. Thank you very much. Much, oh my god. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, we want to start off with this because it's it's just super fun. We understand that you're you're a big fan of horror and sci-fi films. So we were wondering what your earliest experiences with those genres are.
4: Wow, that's um yeah, I I, I am. I, I remember being about gosh, I must have been younger than 10, and like my favorite films were like Terminator 1 and 2, Aliens. I think Aliens is probably, I could safely say, is my, was my favorite, favorite film as a child. Like, as young as I can remember and, you know, like, I still watch it, I, I want to say it's like once a year, you know, I'll watch all all the Aliens films but I'll like start with Aliens and then go back to Alien, then to Alien 3. So yeah, I think that, that began my kind of love of science fiction. Um, I'd say it's kind of in that order. Like science fiction is, I would say my top favorite. And then just because it tangents off into so much horror and uh, just fantasy in general that I do, you know, I do love.
2: What was it about Aliens that you love so much?
4: Particularly the first two films, I think just the, the writing in them is fantastic. Aside from the, the, the obvious, like if you're a science fiction fan, just the, the science fiction component to it, you know, like that, that stuff really fascinates me. I love just science in general. So, you know, like science fiction is, is fun for me. I really do find it enjoyable, you know, spaceships and, and heading out into space and aliens and that kind of stuff. I just, I don't know, it gets me, gets me excited, but um, yeah, I, I don't know. There's, there's just something exceptional about those two films for different reasons. You know, um, obviously aliens is you kind of prototypical action film, but to me, it kind of sets the bar for what an action film could be. It's there's amazing character development, really exceptional writing and the acting is just, is, I don't know. It's just wonderful. It's really, really good. And then Alien, I think, I can't remember when it was, but that was put into the, I think it's the U S like general, uh, what do they call it? Like it transcended its genre and it's in some historical film records. And I think, it, I mean, it's obvious why, when you watch it, it just, it is both genre bending, both for horror, I think, and for science fiction. So, yeah, you know, the first film is is really still something special. I mean, I, I can watch it today and just feel like it's superior to so many modern movies in so many ways.
3: Being a fan of the Alien movie, did you ever go back and look into the lore of the space jockey and then ultimately watch Prometheus?
4: I, so I was really excited to, to, when that was coming out, but I was also frustrated because it was what was so, I think, what is so exceptional about the film and something that, you know, you, you either, you either appreciate this in film or you don't are uh, well-constructed mysteries and un- unanswered questions. And that was what was so clever about, you know, the first alien film is that you, you, it kind of blasts by the, you know, the space jockey, as you say, the, the, the race that but were, were, you know, would if eff- effectively had a much more interesting backstory to them, you know, uh, there's a, you know, a ship there and we don't know how long it's been there for. And this clearly super hyper-advanced kind of uh, life form is sitting there. And you just, you're just supposed to swallow that mystery and have no answers and be sitting there going, but, 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 you know, you want to know more about it. So I was both, I, I, you know, I was super eager because I was a massive fan of Prometheus to, to check it out. But also, you know, I do think that was, it was, it was upsetting to see that, that mystery kind of, you know, had to be revealed. Although I did really appreciate the the story. I think that 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 it was an excellent answer, Prometheus, and the story behind it. it was very, very well constructed. Did didn't feel throw away. Yeah, yeah. I really liked it.
2: Musically speaking, where were some of those films, perhaps in the sci fi and horror genre, where you first were entrapped by the score and what was going on musically?
4: Oh yeah, definitely. That stuff is like it's funny for me, it, it's it's stick it's stuck in my head. In the same way that I think, especially for, I think a lot of films from my teenage years and my childhood, they stick in my head the way, you know, you can go to karaoke and you didn't realize you knew all the lyrics to Celine Dion's, you know, my It will go on. <laughs> yeah. Um, because, because it, you know, in 97, I, I would have been like, shit, was it I was like 10 or something. So like, you know, I can crank that one out. But um, yeah, so I think I, there are loads of films where the the soundtrack is totally stuck in my head, like, and almost almost like pitch perfect like i can recall the exact key particularly with like like aliens um and and alien uh, i was a really big fan of the the game alien isolation that came out on playstation 4 i played that but, and i think they really tapped into the generation like me who who was go- we were going to remember what the the seats and the cups looked like inside the spaceship you know and, and what the soundtrack was like and all the sound effects they really just did an excellent job of replicating it because I think, you know, that nostalgia was what they were trying to, um, (laughs) trying to bring out as an experience. So yeah, uh, definitely soundtracks have been something that's just influenced my music making, whether I like it or not.
1: Would you ever want to score a horror movie?
4: Absolutely. I mean, that's for me, that's where, you know, I'm 33 now and there's like only so long that it feels acceptable for, you know, someone to be, Throwing their hair around on stage, you know, trying to pretend to be a rock star. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, to me, I, I have I have this idea that there is a there is a graceful exit to being in a rock band, and that is for me going into kind of score and more like adult contemporary music in general. But yeah, I mean, I I, I would love to do that. I mean, one of my biggest inspirations, I think, has been Tom York, just as a musical figure, and I I loved what he did for the remake of Suspiria. Oh yeah. It's beautiful. It's a great movie. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so that's for me, that's my, you know, my dream second career is, is to go into film and, and yeah. and, And to be scoring for film.
2: Are there any films recently that the score has really caught your eye? There's so many cool things being done by like people like Ari Aster and the movie, the music of Colin Stetson is another guy who did um the Gretel and Hansel soundtrack that just came out the Oz Perkins film a guy named Robin Coudere a French composer who goes by the name Rob who does these really cool synth compositions is there anybody in those realms that have caught your ear recently
4: wow yeah that's um that's a good question um uh, yeah i mean i gosh I, I forget his name um he died recently
2: who I worked on Sicario and um Arrival oh wow the D- Denis Villeneuve films. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Johan, star- Johansson? Johan Johansson. Yeah. There you go. That's the one. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's all good. But yeah, like I think
4: someone like him, that's definitely kind of the, the scoring that I would like to, you know, to go into and that that's, that's kind of, or actually uh, another person who I, I can relate back to myself a little bit more would be Trent Reznor because I, I can see the trajectory from Nine Inch Nails into film within the music if that makes sense. Sure. Like it doesn't, doesn't feel like this huge jump away from what they were doing. It feels like a continuation of or uh, they're bringing along their kind of history. Um, so I think as far as like stuff that would have a direct inspiration on me, it'd be more like people coming from the music world and moving into film because I think it's, it feels more attainable. Whereas like, you know, traditional score, someone like John Williams, like that's just so beyond my brain. I can't I can't fathom how you write music like that you know it's it's really really it feels foreign to me it feels um something like I don't understand but but like the Trent Reznor score I can get it you know I can I can sort of figure it out while I'm listening to it so uh yeah and then Trent Reznor is also a big um, inspiration of mine as well and I was like delighted uh to see when he was uh, began doing David Fincher movies that was just so cool
2: the music of, that you guys are doing with The Naked and Famous has definitely taken on a, a cinematic approach in its, in its evolution. As some of the new music, for instance, Barius is incredibly cinematic at the beginning. Blinding Lights has that kind of retro, John Carpenter-esque flavor to it. Would you say that that is a path that the music of Naked and Famous is going on purpose, that, that, you're, that you're steering the ship in that direction?
4: Thank you. Yeah, um, definitely. I think I, to be honest, I scaled back. I think on the on that angle of the naked and famous because we are, <clears throat> in some respects, like a pop band. You know, built on verses and choruses uh, and songs that ha- are largely vocal as well. Because that's the kind of, that's the connection point for our art form is really the voice. That's where it's where the kind of sentiment and the meanings of the songs are expressed most obviously. So yeah, I, I do have to kind of scale back a little bit. I mean, if, if I could sort of self-indulge, the albums would be maybe like 30 minutes longer with big cinematic <laughs> intros and outros and stuff. <laughs> but that is, you know, it, it is a very different audience and a, and a different kind of listen and I can appreciate both. But, um, yeah, it's something that I was sort of battled with as well, because I love the naked and famous is like, you know, my, it's my child, it's my baby. It's I, I've been working on it my whole life, but there, is, there are, parts of it that feel very much just me, you know, little moments of production that I feel like at one point I might have saved for myself somewhere down the track and, and done a solo career, which I'm sort of like unambitiously working on in the background <laughs> all the time. So, yeah, I think, I think my own expression, my own music, that when I finally get around to doing it, will be a lot more overtly cinematic. You know, I can just indulge in that.
2: A still heart is a great look into what is in the band at its roots of song composition and what you're talking about based on voice. And, and this almost, almost like a bubblegum pop melodic sensibility. And it let us in behind the produced sound of the band. And, and the production is kind of what brings in that gravitas and that cinematic quality that we're talking about. Do you tend to build that sonic world first or do you build the world around the melody?
4: Again, thank you. I'm like these, your descriptions of my music uh, are far superior to my own. So thank you. It's very kind of you to say. Um, Yeah, I, I, um, gosh, where do we start? It's, it's, it's a, I want to say it's a, it's a bit random to be honest. Sometimes we can begin a song with a piece of production that creates an energy, a vibe. Young Blood, our, you know, biggest hit. That was very much one of those songs where it began as just a track, and then lyrics were dumped on top of the song. And then other 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 songs, we start like all at once. There can be a lyric idea, a concept, and we're trying to develop the the vibe as we're discussing in the room the lyrics and trying out melodies. And then then there are a few a uh, few songs where it might be like Elisa just comes to me and she's Played something on the guitar. She has like a vocal idea and a guitar song, and it's effectively it's a folk, it's a piece of folk music, you know. Um, and then we take it from there. So there is there is no real singular beginning point for us. It's just you know anything goes. But I, I really appreciate you bringing up the uh, Still Heart album because that was us, I think, trying to show ourselves that beneath our production and beneath our aesthetics that we created. That there, there was just a core song that you could display with, like you know, a voice and some simple accompaniment. So that was that was a really enjoyable album for us to to create. We're kind of rediscovering our songs.
2: It's like heart wrenching to listen to. It brings a whole new meaning to all these songs. There's even yeah, stripped down version of Youngblood without all that that production, and it's just it takes on a whole new a whole new tone. And also the uh, the mixing on that was done by Ken Andrews of of Failure. And as far as like. God, pop hooks and, and working with someone who's a master at that, that guy, their album, Magnified, I think, is probably one of the most underrated pop albums of all time.
4: Yeah, Ken, Ken was lovely. We worked with him on the previous album, uh, Simple Forms, and him and I developed a, a really nice working relationship. So he was the perfect mixer for um, Still Heart because it, we, we actually did it all um, remotely. I was just sending him, sending files over email. But yeah, that was great. Yeah, it was really, really satisfying and very quick, actually. Very quick mixing job.
2: Your second album, In Rolling Waves, a production style started to evolve where the songs were written with the scope of a full band, almost in performance mode, that can bring to life these these songs on stage. Now, with this album that we're about to discover, we've discovered a few songs off it so far, but you know, the full length is coming in July. What is the freedom like of moving beyond? any of those lines that have been set within the band and adapting to the new reality of stripping it all back to the two of you. Has that let the reins off a bit? What, what kind of things have, has that ignited creatively?
4: That's a great question. Um, yeah. So my view for the, the naked and famous, well, my, my um, I guess you could say my dream for the naked and famous was for it to always be a band, you know, like I loved bands growing up. I was like a, a metal head. I had dreadlocks. I had like a, you know, a flying V kind of (laughs) guitar, which was like a big horrendous eighties kind of guitar. And like, so like, I, I like, this is like, you know, like ages like 10 to 13. So I was a real, I was really like, just bands were in my, they're in my bones now. And I have to like put the guitar down sometimes to, to try and stop, like just riffing and like writing shredder, shreddery sort of metal riffs and shit. So um, that's in my DNA. And so I always wanted it to be a band. And even when we began just in, you know, like you said early on in 2000, I met at least in 2006 and we started making music. You know, I, I always wanted it to be a band. I wanted to be the guitar player and the second singer and they have a drummer and a bass player. And then we found all of our players for Passing Me, Aggressive You and Enrolling Ways, those those two albums. and it they re- they really was like a band experience, you know, at least and I have always been the writers. We, we write the music, but you know, most bands are like this anyway, you know, band like smashing pumpkins it's little Billy Corgan's writing really, you know, he's the predominant writer. Um, and, and the band members, you know, they create like an energy and they, they oftentimes they do contribute, but a lot of the time, uh, there is a central sort of artistic voice staring the ship so, you know, the core of The Naked and Famous hasn't really changed, but you're right, the presentation has changed. And for the first two albums, I was very concerned with everybody's roles and trying to make this environment where everyone had a purpose and a place and, and felt valued. And it can be very exhausting and it actually can overtake, I think, the creative toolbox. And I think I, for the first two albums, I hear myself limiting us by, by being super focused on the presentation, but this has to be a band. This has to sound like a band. I have to be able to play this live. So how do we do that? You know, there's kind of putting a glass ceiling on the amount of instruments we could use or what we were able to record because we might not be able to replicate it live. Um, but there's been this interesting change in alternative music, especially where the idea of, uh, you know, how, how something needs to be presented live is quite unimportant to people as long as, the energy is there and the conviction and then the and the, uh, the sense of pride in the performance. I mean, that is much more important to people than something being on a backing track because there aren't enough members. People don't really care anymore. Not like they used to anyway. So at some point it, I, I, I kind of almost like felt this regret that there were all these creative decisions I might've made or ones I might not have had. I just kind of let go of that idea of, of the band. So for this album recover, I didn't worry about that at all because, you know, all the other, the members have actually, you know, they've gone on to do other things they've left and it's just it's back to Elisa and I, which is how we started. And I'm not worried about it so much. I wasn't like, Oh, how are we going to figure it, figure this out for the live show? I know that we'll figure it out because we always, we always did. We always figured out some way to, to perform the songs and for it to feel authentic and genuine and, and, and realistic. So um, yeah, it really kind of just allowed me to, and Elisa, both of us to just think about, how should these songs sound? Not how should they be presented? And what's the perception of us as a group? It was just like, does this sound cool? Are we excited by this? Do we find this energizing? Yes or no?
0: So yeah. The boo crew will be right back. <laughs> Kenner presents you, Alien Action Figure. In Quick, shut the L off! The aliens locked out now! He got through! Give up! Alien can't be beat! What's we'll happening with the light? We've lost! Better find another ship! Let's try the kitchen! <laughs> another triumph for Alien. Alien. Action figure. New from Kenner. <laughs>
3: three of us come from a radio background as we worked at k-rock radio um the first time i got to see you guys perform was back when i was at k-rock and you guys played at the sound space here in los angeles and i, re- I remember how incredibly pristine your live sound was with Alyssa's perfect pitch perfect vocals and your carefully crafted music that fills the space masterfully what is the secret to achieving such great live sound
4: oh my god thank you i'm just i'm about to go and contradict everything i just said um, <laughs> I think that, I mean, that was, that's a a, a very, very kind um, question. Thank you so much. But I think that's kind of what I was uh, talking about before. There was so much focus on us being a rock band and a, like an actual band that we rehearsed the shit out of everything. We made sure, I think in our recordings that there was this kind of limit on what we could perform so that it really felt like when we were playing live, we were responsible for everything and we were really behind and in control of everything. So yeah, just just a lot of performance, a lot of live touring. But yeah, I think I I, I think that's the thing when you when you create the real um, group environment, the band environment, is that you create this opportunity to really own what you do, which is very different to I think a solo artist or you know an act that is kind of comp- comprised, uh, You know, it, it's I, I guess a solo artist is, is the best example of it where. They have to figure out how to perform their songs to present them. And there's this this disconnection from the the music and the individual, whereas in in the group environment, the band environment, you are the pirates on the ship and it's your ship. And it's going where you want it to go, for better or for worse. So, yeah, I I think that's really just all, all there is to it.
2: You guys have labored over these new songs that we're about to hear on Recover for, for quite a long time. What does that album represent to you now as it's about to come out?
4: Well, gosh, it's coming out in a pretty, pretty dreadful time, but um, I think it's, it's taken on a few meanings for us. The, this, the title track, Recover, which is the opening song, that was the eureka moment for Elisa and I. Well, While we were writing this, that was the song that stood out And it was like, okay, we've got it. We've got the new sound. We've got the new direction. We have the new workflow. So that was very symbolic for us personally. Also, just I, I, in my opinion, it's the best song on the album. It's just a very, very sincere and thoughtful and honest and just beautiful lyric of Elisa's. She's written about the death of her mother, her estrangement from her father, and just trying to recover herself in these moments in her life as an adult where she feels the absence of, of those people. So it's just, it's just this incredibly powerful, powerful message. And I was just like, Oh my God, this has to be, this has to be the sort of the mission statement because it's just, it's just brilliant. It's really brilliant. But um, also, you know, I think for her and I just in our personal lives and in our kind of who we are as individuals, putting this album together was a, a process of recovery because we had those life members leave who, you know, they were, just live members, but they were our friends and our fellow New Zealanders. So that was that was a bit of a traumatic thing that we, you know, there was a lot of grief involved in that. So putting this album together, you know, we were we were thinking about like, do we even keep going? Do we carry on with the name Famous? Is, is this the point where we put it to rest? We went through all those kind of considerations. So uh, yeah, this was a monumental decision to keep going for us, and a difficult one. It wasn't an easy album to create. There's a lot of Blood, sweat, and tears—it's laboured over—and then now, uh, in this current world/global crisis, we find ourselves in. You know, it's—it has this in- incredible message of hope and resilience that I am hoping is coming at a useful time for people. I, I do, I do hope that this uh, lands in, in sort of an emotional space that, that people are, ho- are looking for, so to speak. That's probably our most positive album to date. I think there's a lot of light at the end of the tunnel. We usually we usually write about um, pretty serious stuff. Our songs aren't, even though there's a lot of dancey songs, none of them are really songs about just being on the dance floor. They're all, you know, songs about love and death and loss, grief and and, and humiliation and all kinds of like really serious stuff. So, but this album really does have kind of a closing positive message to each and uh, each track. So I I really hope that this is something people can hold on to right now.
2: How has quarantine and the lockdown affected the overall game plan? I mean, I I think it was originally set to be released early May, I believe. Are there things that have changed or things on pause or perhaps new opportunities and approaches to react to those changes that are going on in the world right now?
4: Yeah. I mean, gosh, it's an interesting time to be a musician. That's for sure. We're both equipped to deal with this because life is not all that different for me. You know, I work from home anyway, but at the same time, it's incredibly confusing to try and predict what we're supposed to be doing in six months. And that, that is the other part of being a professional musician is that you are planning a year in advance. You know, that's your, your, you don't book a tour three weeks before you go on it. You know, you book it three to six months before you go on that tour and that's how you're sort of looking to run your campaigns and to promote your albums. I mean, we, we are currently right now figuring out how to film three remaining music videos. Um, I'm in New Zealand. Elise is in LA. I, I spent my lockdown here with my family. So yeah, it's 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 very it's been very very difficult. I don't want to complain too much because you know the issues that I'm facing compared to what health workers uh, are facing and people who are. Stock in the supermarkets right now. It's just like, you know, I feel super privileged talking about it, but, but yeah, it has been difficult. We've had to cancel a lot of touring plans and we're looking to reschedule those till next year because it's just, it's too unsafe. It's too unsettling. I think the people, people aren't going to want to rush back. And we're just not able to, we're not able to safely get back together in big groups. So it's, we've definitely taken a hit. I saw it immediately in the, in the, first couple of weeks that streaming you know seeing when the lockdown kicked in that streaming numbers were down pretty drastically so i think these intuitions that we have like oh it'll be great you know people will be at home and they'll just will be listening to music so we're okay you know i I, i'm ready and half expecting all of those intuitions to just be undermined and for this to get more and more difficult i don't think everything is going to go back to normal super quickly uh i think it's going to be pretty difficult thing to navigate. And and for music, especially, we will be trying to figure it out well into the end of next year. That's going to be my guess.
2: Yeah. Kind of has that flavor of wondering what, almost like the trauma that it's going to cause everybody just in general, right? I know. Because I mean, things like, you know, streaming
4: numbers going down. I mean, I don't think anyone would have predicted that. But then you consider where do we all listen to music while we might listen to it on our commute to work or like the 45 minute lunch break that we might have while we're at work. You know, we get some time to ourselves and all of those like spaces where we try and like illuminate the boring parts of our day, uh, they're gone and everyone's just at home with their thoughts and all their free time. And weirdly when free time becomes a, like, I, I mean, I find this, I don't know how you guys feel about this, but when free time becomes like an overabundant thing, I tend to waste it. I squander it. Uh, it's, I feel like it's, it's good to have sections of free time so that you're itching to you know, do that thing on your to-do list and that, and that three hour window that you have. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah, no, <laughs> that know.
2: makes sense. It's like living near the beach, but never going to the beach. Cause you always think the beach is there. I can go anytime. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. But at the same time, I think that people are really getting excited about the prospect of new music. Like there's a new Naked and Famous album coming out during a time when people can spend a lot of time with something new and something to be excited about, you know, or new films that are coming that are being released, not in theaters that are going, I mean, there's a lot of horror films and and sci-fi films that have done that, you know, speaking of that in the, in the past few weeks and things that are coming out over the next few months that are just going straight to streaming to fill that void and to give people that distraction, which there's also that side of it too.
4: Yeah. And I'm, I'm hoping that in the next six months we're able to maybe write another record You know, that would be an ideal thing for us to do in this time is to just move forward with more creativity and hope to to get out the world and get back to playing live music next year.
2: So, yeah. Well, let's talk about some of the videos that you guys have released for this album so far. They've been incredible.
1: I love the Bury Us video. It is like by far my favorite. It's so creative and it's got these horror aspects to it. And it does. Yes, you co-directed it. Can you talk a little bit about the process of making it?
4: Thank you so much. uh, Wow, yeah, like that was so much fun to make. That was as fun and as silly to be like on set for and making as it looks in the video. Like it was just, everyone had such a great time, which is a rare thing because videos are, for me, they're quite an anxiety-inducing kind of experience because I'm a very like... Control, I'm a control freak and a perfectionist so I like to put my best foot forward and take as much time as I need to get something right and videos are a thing where you have to kind of like just take your hands off a little bit especially if you're working with someone else like a director it's harder to to experiment you know if you have a shot that you need and you're there on the day with all the crew that you have and there's an aspect of the shot that's not right you can't afford to just like come back the next day it's much easier to do that in music you can just you know take a break come back the next day, and the studio is still there so so usually an anxiety provoking experience, but this was like just an absolute joy. um everyone on the on the team was like amazing to work with. Um, we had so much fun yeah, so I, I co-directed it with myself. Elisa weighed in pretty heavily on this one because the environment was just it fostered a kind of collaboration um it was very easy for everyone to be helpful and then uh Stefan. Fleming Crits, he was, uh, Stefan was like, sort of, uh, jumping back and forth between helping me when I was on screen and he would, he would sort of like stand in for me and tell me everything was okay. And, but he also had a lot of really excellent shot selections to, to contribute. And then Jory Teplitsky, who, uh, is our kind of, she is our creative director, um, for the Naked and Famous. And she helps with everything from artwork to visuals, to, Branding. She's just like she just oversees everything. She was really heavily involved with me in like writing the the script and 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 the, uh, you know all the all the shot selections and just just everything. She was she was a a, a producer and co director really.
2: And we get to see blood and body count in in a naked yeah. and famous video.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was really fun to do all that stuff and
4: like a lot of the ideas were it was great. Like working with a big team, I could just say like, I want some fake shoes. I want a fake body. Can we get fake bodies? And people would be like, okay, yeah, sure. Let me just check the prop department and see if we can (laughs) see how much those are. So that was really fun and hilarious. Uh, Yeah. It was like your own little horror
2: comedy. I love it. (laughs) Do you have any, do you have any favorite horror comedy films? Yeah. I mean, I have a, there's a
4: special place in my heart for cabin in the woods because it's, uh, one of the first movies that, I saw with my partner, Luna shadows, who's actually in the video. She gets, I run her over. She's the the girl on the bike.
1: Oh, wow. Oh, awesome. um,
4: and we saw that film together on one of our first dates. And I didn't like tell her anything about it. I was like, would you like to watch a movie? Um, this is this horror film. And she was like, okay, sure. Yeah. And so we, we watch, we'll watch that like once a year, kind of like a silly anniversary, but I think it's brilliant. It's really, really funny. That film. I like how subversive it is to the genre and all the, yeah all the things that it plays on it's just so fun and of course youngblood
3: was used in the trailer
4: it was youngblood was used in the trailer which is like double (laughs) double (laughs) meaning amazing
3: (laughs) yeah Yeah, i was curious if you're a fan of what we do in the shadows
4: yes love the love the original haven't seen the us version is it is it any good
3: oh it's hilarious man it continues off with the original like new zealand version but it's just it's hilarious
4: yeah I, I wanted to see it but it's, it's on my list but i gotta watch it um i love yeah i love the original and um always been a fan of Tactical the ytd
1: my favorite is shawn of the dead as far as horror comedies go it's like my favorite so if you haven't seen that you <sighs> definitely need. To. i haven't
4: watched it in ages and i put it on my list because i've been just going through all like old zombie movies lately like that's i like a few days ago i just got super excited about zombie films and i was like creating an imdb list to, to watch it <laughs> so that's that's
1: on there um, yeah so is on an apocalypse that was really good. oh yeah
2: on an apocalypse was awesome it's a zombie comedy musical i don't know that movie apocalypse
1: yeah. so good it's it's really good you should check that yeah one it came out. out like
2: two years ago i believe
1: yeah it Scottish.
3: got it's a scottish production yeah.
1: yeah
2: oh wait i've seen
4: the cover yeah but no okay awesome i'm adding that to the list thanks i'm just like <laughs>
3: Going back to your music uh, videos for a second, uh, the Come As You Are video directed by Frank Nitti has some really cool surrealism with the cut-off fingertips, growing flowers, the morphing of the eyes, and tiny hands on faces. Was the idea rooted or inspired from the works of Salvador Dali?
4: <laughs> no, um, that's a great uh, reference, though. I, I can see how you you joined those dots there. But no, that was really just... I mean, if you, if you look at Frank's... Um, art in general, that, that is very much what he does. Um, he kind of just, he takes a lot of high fashion photography and just makes it weird and makes it really obscure. And, um, I I mean, maybe he would say, yes, I, I don't want to speak on behalf of him, but maybe he would say that is where his, uh, where his inspiration comes from.
2: Filming that video, for instance, how was it working with Frank, to the point where he's like, "Okay, Elisa, uh, in this, uh, your head's going to be split open here. You're going to have 16 eyes. A plant's going to be growing out of your brain. <laughs> like, this, yeah. do you know exactly what's going to go on, or you just kind of film it and then he spits it back out in this beautiful absurdity?"
4: Exactly. Yeah. So th- there were some things that we could plan as far as like what kind of shots he wanted and what angles he needed to to give him the most manipulation, but we really didn't know what to expect he had a few sort of ideas that he threw around on the day but our hands were totally like off as soon as we were done with filming we we're like okay frank go for it you do your thing and we'll you know <laughs> just kind of like fingers crossed to see what comes back so that was like a little nervy nervy for me but um i was so pleasantly surprised to see the final product come back i was just so exciting and so bizarre was
2: everything I could have wanted for that video. Oh, it's so beautiful. No, it's amazing. I wanted to ask just about, again, going back to the production process of the music. When you listen to even these new songs, it's, there's just this, this subtlety of little glitches in the spaces. Everything's filled. There's layered harmonies, tweaked out vocal lines. How do you not get overwhelmed by what is almost like an endless palette of options to play with? and filters and different sounds to change vocal parts. And and, and how do you stop? What is informing you to say, okay, it's done now?
4: Yeah. Good question. What's the, what's the saying? Um, Art is never finished, only abandoned. But yeah, that, that is basically the theory that you, you just have to let go at some point um, and decide that you've done enough. And I, I have trouble with that. I have trouble. I would infinitely, tweak and fix and and uh, there's like there's there are things about the record cover you know that we've just finished that I'm like damn it I wish I had just you know (laughs) like there's tiny little things I wish I'd fixed or adjusted or experimented with just a little longer but you just have to move on And, and if you're a perfectionist like me you have to move on to something new so yeah it's a battle for sure especially if you have if you're multidisciplinary, it makes it even more difficult. If you're just a singer or just a songwriter, it's much easier because there's a limitation to your, your ability to tweak the project. But if you're like me and you want to be like a singer and a songwriter and a producer and half, half mixing as well, then like I have control over so many aspects that I can pro- productively procrastinate <laughs> the release of the song <laughs> as, long, as long as I possibly can.
1: So, you had a near death experience with blood poisoning. Can you talk about that? It sounds really yeah, scary.
4: Yeah, So, I was about to leave for uh, a show we had in somewhere in Northern California. Now Northern California, we were playing Bottle Rock Festival, and we had a couple of dates before that. I think I can't remember where they were, but I was packing my bags, getting ready to get on the bus, and the bus was, you know, at 12. 12 bunk bus and it was parked up in our rehearsal space uh, in downtown LA and so I'm getting ready and we're about to drive over and we drive over to uh, my girlfriend's house to pick up some extra stuff and I'm I'm, I'm getting grumpy and I accuse her of making me um, car sick and her driving <laughs> and uh, she's like you're not car sick we, we drove for five minutes you're fine I think you've eaten something bad and then we sort of wait around for a minute and I'm like, okay, shit, you're right. I've eaten something bad. And we're supposed to be heading to the bus. So we're delaying this by like, you know, 15 minutes. We're like, okay, we'll leave in 15 minutes. And then I get progressively sicker and I'm like, all right, I've eaten something bad. I'm going to be ill. Run to the bathroom. I'm ill. I'm like, okay, uh, maybe this will be okay. Wait for a little longer. And then 15 minutes later, I'm ill again. And then it just keeps ramping up. And, you know, you, you get sick, you get a stomach bug or something you're ill and then you lie down for a few hours and you might be ill again, but it's, it's not, it's not like five minutes after you were just ill that you have to run back to the bathroom. So it just, and there was some point where I was like, I mean, I could go into gra- graphic detail, but I'll just say it was, it was, conf- I'd had to decide which I had to decide which end I needed to prioritize. With.
3: <laughs> <laughs> That's the worst.
4: This <laughs> I hope you never have this experience. And I, you know, I was lucky. I never made the wrong bet, but at some point I kind of went semi unconscious and then got really, really pale and was like barely able to speak. And then my partner called the ambulance and they took me to the hospital and the hospital were great. There was a the good Samaritan hospital again in downtown LA. And they knew right away that I had sepsis. I had blood poisoning at it. it It was food poisoning that had progressed somehow as a staph infection that turned septic and gotten into my blood and they managed to pick it up. And that was basically, I I learned afterwards that blood poisoning is extraordinarily fatal and there's a 50% mortality rate. And so one in three cases gets undiagnosed in the hospital and people die of it all the time. So yeah, I was very, very lucky, incredible hospital staff. And an extremely wonderful uh, girlfriend who ignored my, me, muttering, I- "I'm fine, I'm fine, don't worry about it." <laughs> so she just called the ambulance right away.
1: I'm so glad you're okay. Our son had yeah. a blood infection actually, and it was really scary. And we had to go to the hospital for a month. And he was on like antibiotics, and he he also threw up and had really pale skin. Oh yeah, it freaked
2: us! It freaked us out. Yeah, we thought that was it. We thought it was it. It's
1: horrible. And then
4: and then I got to the hospital and immediately, like, they pumped me full of this anti-nausea medication that this moment stands out in my mind as, like, one of the biggest moments of relief I, that I can remember was getting pumped full of anti-nausea medication. It was, like, just absolute bliss. It was like having my head reattached to my body or something. It was nuts. Yeah. And then she slept. My girlfriend slept, curled up like a little cat on the bottom of my... Uh, bed for the whole night
2: you revisit it as a song in this new album
4: i did i did yeah well yeah i thought it was a good thing to write about yeah it's it's kind of, it's one of my favorites actually i thought it was sort of funny to write a song about it but um yeah i think it's it's really cool it's an important song to me i wanted to do a music video for it but I, i'm not sure that we'll have enough uh have enough time <laughs>
2: We cannot wait to hear these uh, the yeah. rest of the the remaining collection of this of this album yeah. and then sit and spend time exploring it. Thank you so much. Hey, before we take off, I'd love to get maybe a short list of some films, TV shows, horror and sci-fi that you've recently discovered that you'd recommend people go out and check out.
4: Cool. What have I watched recently? Um, I saw The Invisible Man, oh, which yeah. was I thought that was great because of the genre bending that. I mean, I, I don't want to say that that's genre bending, but I found the subtext to it that it is basically just the idea of a, an abusive relationship turned into a horror film and that the language of abusive relationships permeates the entire script. I just, I thought that was very, very clever. And if you, you know, um, yeah, I don't know if anyone's listening and they, they, that sounds all a bit like confusing to them. I highly recommend you check it out because it is an incredibly thoughtful idea. Um, I really liked Vivarium as well. That was quite fun. Have you guys seen that
2: film? No, I've heard so much about it. I haven't seen it. Leo, have you seen it? No, not yet.
1: I have not either.
2: It's great. It was,
4: um, it was bleak, but very inventive, really inventive. And I like, I like those kinds of films. I thought that was awesome. It reminded me of uh, another one called The One I Love. I, it's loose, it loosely reminded me of this film, but I rewatched that recently. The One I Love was another great like, science fiction kind of thriller mystery. I want to throw a throwback film actually in, in there as well. This, this kind of influenced various in some ways. Cause it's a fast, it's a film called time crimes and it's a Spanish film by I'm, God. I'm not going to pronounce his name right. Not sure. <laughs> um, no, I'm not even going to try. I'm not even going to try to pronounce the director's name, but if you haven't seen time crimes, it's highly worth checking out. Yeah. That's really great. Oh, and uh, the lighthouse, the Robert Eggers movie.
1: Oh, I love. Yeah. What'd you think of it?
4: I mean, I like those kinds of films because I'm okay with being challenged. I'm up for that. And it, it stuck with me. It, it stuck with me for, yeah, just I couldn't stop thinking about it the next day. So, yeah, I think that's fantastic. Yeah, um, it's
2: got that real ambiguity to it and these, just these yeah. monologues, right? They, they just go on and you just, you're just stuck staring at the performances and taking it all in. It was really something to watch.
4: Yeah, 100%. Like, just the, the, the way that those two could just carry the entire film. That was just amazing. Oh, I, another another uh, cool sci-fi, which has some like horror-inducing themes in it, I think, is um, High Life. High Life is really good. I like that a lot. That, for me, was like one of my favorite recent films. Yeah, uh, Claire Dennis, the director of that one, I think. Um, High Life was excellent. Yeah, if you were into like Hereditary and Miss I would sort of categorize it along with those films. It was more psychological- than it was science fiction, even though it fits that, that genre.
2: Wow. That's an excellent list. And a lot of those films I have only read about and have not seen probably the same for all of us. Yeah. (laughs) Great. Amazing list. Amazing list. We love it. Tom, man, thank you so much for taking the time to spend with us today. And again, we can't wait to explore this album when it comes out and, you know, best to you through all this stuff. And I know we're going to get out of it and cannot wait to see you guys back on the road.
4: Thank you so much for taking the time uh, today and appreciate all your uh, all your flattery. Thank you. <laughs> it's very kind of you to say.
2: Thank you, man. Thank you. That was
3: the Move Crew Podcast episode 143. Special thanks to our guest Tom Powers of the band The Naked and Famous.
2: Follow at The Naked and Famous and at Tom Powers on Instagram and at TNAF on Twitter. At time of release, their new album Recover is available everywhere Friday, July 24th.
1: If you like this episode, check out episode 100 with Alex Wolf, episode 109 with Bob Bruno of Best Coast, and episode 74 with Tobias Forge of Ghost. Music for this episode from The Naked and Famous. Production tracks provided by Powerman 5000. Till next time, it's The Boo Crew saying, Sweet Scream.
0: Thanks for listening to another episode of The Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt The Boo Crew at Tales from the Crew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew. On Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at Tales from the Boo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shand. And Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand. Chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation. Part of the bloody disgusting podcast network. Bye.